This episode of the Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and with me in the house, well, in his own house, is Scott Hannon. And most of you know him from his days in the NHL. I mean, he's played over a thousand games for a few different teams. But the one that I always remember is San Jose Sharks, because that's my team. Even though I was raised with the Bruins, I have to admit, every now and then you got to kind of go with where you live. And, uh, and I'm glad I did, because not only did I get to go watch him at the Shark Tank, but we get to share waves out on the surf. So, Scott, welcome. Thanks, Rock. Glad to be here. And so when the Sharks play the Bruins, who, who's your team? Who do you, who do you root for? The real question. That's the real okay. question here. Honestly, you... I'm going, I, I, and I've said it before. I'm going with the Sharks. I like I it. I like it. I, I really like am. It. I love the Sharks. I love every. I love the the hockey culture in San Jose, California. Really, like I couldn't get over that when I first started going to the games. I'm like, this is a huge following. Like Sharks fans are some of the most diehard hockey fans I've ever come across. And this coming from a guy from Boston. I mean. The, the bees, Bruins, they were, it's funny, back in New England, we have this kind of, uh, this storyline about your sports teams and how they could be similar to, like, relationships. Like, the, the Celtics were always the hot, steamy date that you could never get enough of, and you like to think back in those days. And the Red Sox were, like, always this disappointment. It seemed like she was going to be the one. And when it came down to it, it just all crumbled and ended in, in catastrophe. And then the, the Patriots, of course, you know, this was some old flame that really fizzled, but then you meet later in life and it's like, wow, it is on. And the Bruins, well, if you had nothing going on, maybe you'd call her up. <laughs> I have never heard that analogy, but I love it. That's great. <laughs> I just say it like it is, man. I mean, oh. I love I love 2011, 2013. You know, great years to go to the cup and take one home for the bees. But um, I remember sitting game six. You, I, you were up, and I don't. You were just with the gang up in the skybox. Game six against the Penguins. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way we wanted it to. And the San, Stanley Cup with the Sharks there, but. Being there and being in, in all of it, especially pre-COVID, I mean, it, the only thing better, I guess, would be on the ice. Would you say that? Yeah, probably. Probably. That was a little bit of a heart, heartbreak there for the for the Sharks. And, and your bees did throw a little heartbreak my way with Vancouver. Not that I liked the Vancouver team at the time, but, you know, all my buddies back home, big Vancouver fans in Game 7, it really lit into us. I remember watching that. I was in Vancouver and then, Vancouver didn't really like that that game too much, and then we had a got a little rowdy in downtown Vancouver afterwards. <laughs> well, I gotta say, I don't really like. I like the town Vancouver, a fantastic city. Talking about multicultural, but but honestly, the team, nah, 
I'm no, I'm not, I am not a big fan of that team. I haven't been since it was Trevor Linden and Pavel Bure. So. Oh, I don't know what happened. They seemed like they, they just got more kind of like, I will say physical because it's a physical game, but it seemed like when you watch the Sharks games and, and against Vancouver, there was always fights breaking out. And I remember being in the Shark Tank, the kids were really, I don't think Jack was born yet. Maddie was just this, no, Jack was born. He was just a baby. And my wife's out in the, in kind of the atrium walking around because the noise inside the arena was just so deafening. But uh, my daughter and I were sitting in the stands and, and a fight breaks out on the ice. And of course it's against Vancouver. And then my cell phone's going off and it's my wife. She's like, I think it's time to go, honey. <laughs> oh, so, so I grab my daughter and we walk out and there they are out in the atrium, the walkway. And, and I'm saying, is, is everything okay? Is the baby kind of upset or what? She's like, no, the fight. And I'm like, is that what this is about? I turn to my daughter and I say, honey, what do we know about that? What happens if you fight? Oh, you get a timeout. That's not okay. I'm like, perfect parenting moment. Perfect, right, right there, there right there. Damn straight. She, yeah. And she had nothing to get, give me back on. She was like, oh, okay. All right, well, we're going to go back inside. You guys hang out here. We're going to go learn some more about parenting. It was yeah. fantastic. I think it would have been better if she said it was a five-minute timeout. And then after you come out, you can do it two more times. <laughs> Oh, uh, who would have thought she'd end up a football player? I don't know how that happened, but anyway, <laughs> she likes the bumps and bruises. But speaking of bumps and bruises, you know, you're smart, man. After over a thousand games in the NHL of, of being a defenseman and, and banging bodies and boards, you, for some reason, and you probably avoided a lot of concussions because you still have your wits about you and you've left the, the, the ice behind for the waves. Surfing has been well I, I probably not you're still coaching hockey right you're still yeah, yeah. still coaching still coaching still doing a lot around the rink but i but i do love my time over in uh in santa cruz in the ocean yeah it feels better when you get wiped out by an overhead set than when you get a six foot five 250 pound uh center coming barreling down on you yeah so, yeah I, I think it feels just a little bit better you know <laughs> all right this has been a winter to remember I mean, from so many, you've gotten uh, so much surf, I would imagine, right? Yeah, no, it's been it's been a, a great run. You know, we've uh, I've gotten my boys out there a few times, not in the big stuff, but you know, they surfed a lot with me in the summer for the first time, so that was really enjoyable. We we were over there a lot. We we spent a month over there. We uh, stayed at a friend's house. It was it was just really uh, remarkable just to get to surf with the boys, and then. You know, this time around in the winter, they got their first taste of some winter waves, which was kind of cool. But then, uh, you know, there was a few times out there where dad got to go out by himself, which was a lot of fun. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Now you're doing something else that's a lot of fun. And that is you've, you've done with, some, I guess, some of the professional athletes obviously do is they, they get not only into coaching, but into commentating, sports commentating. And last season, you, I don't know if that was your first time as doing the commentating it sounds like you've been you've had a couple other experiences but now you're you're entrenched in it you've got several games that you're going to be announcing for is that right yeah it kind of just fell into my lap call it i mean last year um it was actually two years ago was my first one and they, they asked me to come out for one of the san jose sharks playoff games and i and i came in as just like a color uh, you know just kind of helping out it was out in front of the rink in the street crowd and they seemed to like it. So I came in a few times and they had a little gimmick going where they, 
I wore like a tie when we were playing the Vegas Knights and it was a gold tie. So they thought that that was funny. And then when we beat the Knights, we cut the tie off and it was sort of a gimmick. So it was kind of fun. And then the next year they asked to see if I would come back and I enjoyed it. So it was something that sort of just fell into my lap last year. I did 30 games on the pre and post game show with Brody Brazil um, and Curtis Brown. And then this year, um, again, Jamie Baker stepped away. Um, so there was an opening and then they kind of were, I, I don't want to say they were scrambling because everything obviously with COVID and everything that was going on. So, you know, I decided to step in and do some color. One of the biggest things for me was the, the road trips. I didn't really feel like I wanted to go back on the road, but with COVID, so it's kind of a perfect year. We're all not going on the road. We're, we're commentating about the game away from the, uh, we're not going on the road with the team. So that kind of fit with my schedule as far as being at home with the family and the boys and, and, and doing all that stuff with the hockey, the coaching. So it seemed to work. I've enjoyed it a lot. And I, um, you know, I'm getting close to 48 games this year. So right. now, what do you enjoy the most out of it? What, what is it? I, I mean, you know, w- when you talk and you do something for your whole life, I've been playing hockey since I was four years old. And, you know, you go through that whole, I moved away from home at 15, 16 years old. I've played this game my whole life and sometimes stepping away it was good for me to step away and I think um you know I, I think the best piece of advice I got was from Doug Wilson and you know because I wanted to step back in right away but I didn't really know what I wanted to do right but you just feel so you, you feel like a, a an emptiness a hole sort of that you and he's like take some time enjoy being away from the game and and I did that. I stepped away and I focused a lot on my family. I coached a lot of my kids. Um, and then this just kind of fell into my lap and it felt right. It felt like, you know, go back to your old analogy. It felt like something safe. You know, it was just, I went back and I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching the game again. I could separate myself from the player to as a fan almost now, like um, even to the game I, I did last night, when you see Brent Burns score that goal where he toe drags four guys and goes top shelf, I got excited for the goal. And, you know, like I was texting with Burnsy afterwards and it was just, you know, pure enjoyment of the game again. And that's something that I don't want to say I lost, but I needed that break. And now I've kind of found it again. And I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the time with Dan Rusinowski. I got to do a couple of games on TV with Randy Hahn. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, I can imagine. I mean, you've you've played for several teams, uh, five five NHL teams or four NHL teams. I was kind of a suitcase there for a little bit, so like you know, there was a couple teams mixed in there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can imagine that it it kind of it won't lose its flair or flavor or fun, but there's got to be this. Oh, here we go again. Now it's time to uproot everything and and have this conversation with my wife and. And this is, I mean, it's, it's more a, there's the non-glamour side of it, I guess you'd say that you, you probably don't have to contend with anymore. I mean, you've, you've set down roots in San Jose. Uh, Of course, you know, we hang out in Santa Cruz for the waves, but it's not like you have to be rushing around anywhere. So I could see that that's gotta be more fun in some ways. Yeah. Maybe to touch on that, because that's, it's a very good point. What you bring up, there's, there's always some point in your life, no matter what you do for a living, um, that it feels like a job. And if you can't fall back on the love of the sport um, and really remember what connected you to that. And I mean, I felt pretty lucky to be able to play a sport for my whole life. Um, You know, but at times, even to me, you're right. Like when you are 
30 years old, 32, you got a young family and you're kind of bumping around. It can zap the fun out of the game. You know, like there was a few times where you're, you're getting a call at 1130 at night with sitting on the couch with my wife or my agent saying you got traded and I'm on the plane at 630 in the morning heading to Washington on the road, never knowing when you're going to see your family again. Um, so there's a lot of things that can happen in that. I was lucky enough, again, I felt lucky to be able to be brought back to San Jose where I started, um, finish a few more years, end my career, get my thousandth game, and then step away from the game here with all the, the connections and the community that I had from before. And then, you know, and then to step back into um, broadcasting, it's, it's, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to have the life I've had and, and to be able to step into here. But, you know, yeah, again, it, it all falls back on the love of something and the love of the sport. And that's, I think that's very important. And your, uh, your broadcasting, you know, we were talking the other day and it's, it's different these days because now most teams are having their own apps, obviously their own websites, and they're doing a lot of kind of their in-house announcing. So uh, we're not necessarily talking the major networks of, uh, you know, winter classics or NHL on NBC or, or ESPN. You guys are broadcasting a little differently. Is that right? Yeah, the Sharks just started their own audio network, um, and it's pretty much a 24-hour app audio system where you can have Sharks 24 hours a day. We still have the games as far as TVs on NBC, but they brought the radio games. You know, it used to be on 98.5, but now it's all in-house. It's right on the app. You download the app, you hit listen, and you can hear Dan Rusinowski and, and, and me commentate a lot of the games. You know, Mark Smith's going to be on, on the color there for a few games as well. And then they have interviews and, and Sharks content, you know, 24 hours a day, which I think is really cool. I think a lot of teams are moving in that direction to give the fan a sort of a one-stop shop. You're going to hear about the interviews. You're pro I, I'm, They're working on stuff for guys away from the, from the rink, you know, for, you know, even old alumni, guys like me, maybe surf days and things like that. So I think it's a really cool way for, fans to to connect to players of right now and then also players of the past and just to have that sharks content now are you starting to create that content also i mean are they asking you to come in there or is it simply uh i don't say simply but is it commentating only at this point or what yeah i think they're working me in slowly you know because i mean they know i was kind of off on the side so i think scotty emmert the, their head there is kind of working me in slowly he's not giving me too much at the beginning because you know again a big part of for me is my family still too. And right now there's a lot of time, but my kids are young, 10 and eight. I love the fact that I get to do a lot with them, coach them, you know, well, like why we, I just saw you on Saturday, get to surf with them. I mean, how much fun is that? You were out there with Jack and to see Gage and to see the kids interact the way they do. That's something that I, I mean, is a little silver lining with all this COVID because my, my son's played a lot of sports and they didn't get a lot of those weekends. So I mean, in some way, the fact that he's able to go out with me, we spent a lot of time doing some cool stuff, camping, you know, uh, you know, kind of off the grid, away from everything. So it, it's there's a little silver lining in this um, COVID thing. Honestly, I, I don't think there's ever been a tombstone that read, I wish I should have spent less time with my kids, you know? So it's, and, and it's, it's epic. I, that you can't take away that father-son, or for that matter, father-daughter, father-kid experience. And to, to share in something that you can be both passionate about or enjoy at the same time, no matter how old we get, I think we'll still be doing that. So that's fabulous. Now, the, the NHL season, 
you know, last year was just crazy, the bubble and all that. And, uh, but this year, what's it looking like? I mean, we're six games in right now and maybe seven or so by the time this airs, we'll probably be a little bit, probably double by then, but what's, what are we talking? How many games and, and what's, what's going to happen? Well, 56 games. And, and to me, actually, it's, a, it, I'm pretty excited about this year. I love the way they've set up the schedule with the conferences. I'm not sure how much they're going to keep, but as far as broadcasting and playing, I love the situation where it's these small mini series. I mean, they're having two games set against teams um, because I love the, the little things coaches can make those adjustments. And me as a, you know, a color commentator, seeing those tiny adjustments within a game that you don't get to see in years past where you're playing a different team every night. I find that the coaches in the past, they stuck to one game plan and they said, Hey, we got talent. Talent's going to get us to 82 games. We get into the playoffs and that's what makes playoff hockey so exciting is those tiny adjustments. You know, I'm lining up against you. I'm the top line. This is the guy I have to beat for these seven games or six games or how many ever to win four, right. In a seven game series. And, it's kind of that same with the regular season. So these two games, you see those tiny adjustments, the, the meaning that goes into these games, I think is amazing. I think you're getting really good hockey. I think the announcers are, are able to talk about stuff that normal, you know, uh, even have something for the fan that has been in the sport his whole life and the new fan. Those little changes within a game and within a series, I think are so important. I can see something like this moving forward. I don't know how they would do it, but I really like the idea of these these home sets, kind of like baseball, where it's like a, you know, a weekend where the team just goes into that city, plays that weekend set, and then they're done. And I, you know, I, I really love the way they did this schedule. And I think it's going to make for exciting hockey. I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's so much nicer to know that, yeah, almost like you, you've got these mini series to, to contend with. And then imagine coming down, like in your, you're in the West at the end, you're going to get close to the playoffs and you're fighting that team. For the playoffs, that you know, you, we could be playing the Las Vegas Knights the last games of the year, and that could mean everything. That could mean getting into the playoffs and getting out. And that intensity that's going to happen in those three games, you're not going to be, you know, there's not a situation where you're hoping another team's going to win. These games are going to be yours for the taking, and it could mean a matter of being in the playoffs or not. I think that makes for great hockey. And having fewer games means that every single matchup is going to be that much more critical for a win, right? It's not like it's completely diluted out 80 plus games and, and somewhere in the middle of the season, people kind of, you know, the, the fans that are, are borderline fans that are not the diehards, they, they're not going to start paying attention until later in the season when the playoffs come around. However, now it's like, ah, uh, the fact that you started later too is, is kind of nice, you know, October, November, NHL starts up, but you've got football going on at the same time and the NBA's right at the same time, too many sports to pay attention to. Now we got the Super Bowl and that's it. And then of course you got the NBA. So it's, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's kind of a nicer way to set it up a little bit later in the season. Of course it would have been good if we started at the end of November, beginning of December, but yeah, they just get a few more games, but I, I like how it's setting up. Yeah, and I mean, I even like it as, a, as an ex-player because if I can think of myself as a player in the game, sometimes you go on that road trip and you're playing New York and the Islanders and that's an Eastern Conference team and you're at the tail end of a, uh, of a series and a tail end of a road trip and you're like, well, that's an Eastern Conference team. I'm just happy to get that point in, in overtime. 
Whereas now you can't think of it that way. You're going into a team. And if that, like when we played Arizona Coyotes in the first two games, you go into overtime and you can't have a situation where you let off the gas, that, that, that shootout, that overtime, that, that extra point could mean the difference of you making the playoffs or not. I think it's just, I think it's a great way to set up the league, especially in this situation with, with COVID. And it's also, you know, I think they're going to take some of these things, not all of them. I don't think they're going to have a situation where it's going to be these conferences, but some of this stuff, I think they'll have even moving forward. And with fewer games comes the likelihood of fewer injuries. You've got athletes that aren't wearing down near the end of the season as much as they might. If we're talking that you're getting into like, number 70 number 75 you know they're nearing the end of the season and you've got you've got to kind of hold back on those guys that are kind of injured reserve you don't want to have a lot of playing time because you need them for the playoffs we're not going to have as much of that I mean the, the longevity of an NHL player if this maintains the way that it's going could be so much greater I mean what's the what's the average career span of an NHL player currently yeah, five, five years. There's a lot of discrepancy, right? You get five years, but if you play over five, you could probably hit 10. Um, I would, I would love to think I like what you're thinking there as far as the shorter amount of games. I think it could be beneficial. I, I don't think that that's going to land in the, in the ownership group when it's tickets are such a huge drawer, but um, as far as revenue for the, for the ownership. So even though I'd like to think we could stick to 56 games, I would love for the teams to play three a week and have a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. And that for me is on TV. Cause if I look at it for me, if you had a set schedule every week, instead of way, Hey, do we play Monday? Do we play Wednesday? Do we play Tuesday for fans? It's really hard to pattern your, your schedule. Or if it was Wednesday, Friday, Saturday night, every night, maybe a Saturday afternoon. And we always had Sunday off. Um, I think building that for TV would be huge. You could start having the talking heads. Like I'm going to be called now is, is you could have a pregame show and it could be a mini set series, right? If you had three games against the same team on a weekend, it would be huge. And I think, you know, in some ways like football is that perfect TV game because you can talk about that game every Sunday for a week. The buildup for it's amazing. So I'm not sure we'll get there in the, in the NHL, but I'd love to see it head in that direction to some, in some way. Honestly, that would be wonderful. That would just, uh, because that for me personally, I, unless I have the schedule up on the wall, I, I don't know when you're playing. Like it's, it's just, it's a kind of a hit or miss depending upon the night too. So, and that's also, and that's also what I like about the sets. Like if I, if we play a double bang against, you know, Las Vegas as a fan, I'm sitting there going, okay, I can hit 20 of the 41 games. These are the sets that I want to watch. And it's only just two days of one weekend. It's not like I have to track down Vegas in November and Vegas in February, right? I, I just got to hit that, that weekend. It's almost like a little mini vacation, right? You catch your two teams. And that's what I think I, they, I think they should lead up to is because that would make it easier on the fan as far as planning. And we know in today's day and age, that, that means so much. So, yeah. Well, then this morning, news came out that shelter in place throughout all California regions has been lifted or will be officially lifted. And I think it begins tomorrow where places that have been closed down like restaurants with outside dining, hair salons and barbershops and the like are gonna be allowed to start operating again. So do you, any word with the Sharks organization, what it's gonna mean for game attendance, fans coming back in? I, I would love to say I'm privy to that type of information, Rock, but, you know, uh, I mean, 
personally, I would love to see the the Sharks at least get back to home games. I know, you know, speaking selfishly as a as a fan, um, you know, I know it's or even as an ex player, I know how hard it is in the guys being away from their families and, and whatnot. I'm not sure we would get to a point anytime soon with fans as far as watching the games, but even that ability to have that team be able to be home, get some sort of normalcy for those guys, I think would make for better hockey on our side of things, Um, which I think is a great respite with everything that's gone on this last year. I think the one huge benefit of, of sports is that little respite. I I, I seem to forget about it when I'm announcing a game every couple of days, I forget about what's going on right now a little bit. You know, it's a nice little respite. I get excited. You know, I was jumping out of my seat for Bernsey's goal the other night. And I thought that was, you know, and afterwards when you're heading home, you're like, this is why you miss sports. And so I hope they get to come back. I hope we're able to, to put fans in the stands at some point when it's safe. Um, because I think that it's important for, for everybody. You know, speaking of the fans, what, what is it? What is it about San Jose? that has such a strong following it, it, because you know, this is in the winter time, you just put on a sweatshirt. It's not like you have to go shovel anything. And if we want to go to the snow, we've got to travel like three and a half, four hours up to the Sierras. If we're going to see any kind of pond hockey or any kind of whiteness, what, what do you think it is about the people in San Jose? Is it just, we're all transplants from the, the, the great white North and, or the new England, or what is it? You know, I think it's partially that. I think there's a little bit of that built in, but I also think maybe they were kind of like the, the I don't want to call it the, the stepchild, but, you know, the, the San Francisco 49ers had their team, you know, and the Oakland A's had their team, and you always felt like you were cheering for them, and then they were like, ah, but you're from San Jose. So it was that that thing to own. I, I've heard that from fans. It was their team. It was the first one, sort of the big put them on the map franchise, the arena. It was something for the fans here to own, and, Man, did they own it. They loved it. They showed up in droves. They're passionate. Um, you know, I played in a lot of buildings, and, and I, I've played in some San Jose games where I've never heard it louder. I, I can think back to that four-on-three penalty kill. I can think about some playoff wins against some big teams, against Colorado and St. Louis. Um, and that place was just roaring. Um, you know, when they made it to the Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, the, just the fans, the passion that they showed and, and the way they get behind the players and the team is just – you know, it, it really is remarkable, and it's it's a lot of fun playing in front of them. So we're early on in the season. You know, they've split the games three apiece. Uh, and, of course, they're right in the middle of the West Division. Where do you see them going? Are they are they reforming, or is it just too early to tell? What what do you predict, like, the, the shark season starting to look like? Well, I will tell you, at the beginning – we didn't know what type of team we were going to get. If you look back to last year, it's throw that one out. Um, you know, Martin Jones didn't have the year he probably wanted to have. And he'll be the first to admit it. The team didn't have the type of year that they wanted to have. A lot of guys, there was injuries. There was, well, you know, we've all been on part of teams that have snowballed. When things go wrong and it just kind of snowballs, nothing can go right. The coach gets fired. You come in and there's, you know, and, and really, I think it was just a good year to throw out. And, at the beginning of the year, that's what I, my mindset was with the team. I didn't particularly like their first two games against Arizona, um, but at the same time, they hadn't played hockey in how long. They, were, they weren't in the bubble. Um, there hasn't been competitive hockey. They had a shortened camp. Um, 
defense was going to be a hard thing. They implemented some new systems um, with Bob Bugner. So that was going to take a learning curve. I actually think they've learned that quicker. I was, it was big because St. Louis is a tough team. And when they went into St. Louis, I didn't like one of their games. Um, the first game, their second game, they cleaned up a lot and they looked good. And then the two games against Minnesota, there's a top team that plays hard, plays six, you know, four lines, 60. And they came out in that first game. It was four. Yeah, it was four one, but they scored two empty nets and really Minnesota got the bounces. There wasn't a ton of high grade scoring chances, but the San Jose Sharks were right in that game. And then in the game two, they took it over. In my opinion, it was closer than it needed to be. They had a lot of great opportunities. They got some key goals by some big players. Um, and that's what you're going to need. And that's what the Sharks are going to need this year. They're going to need big games by Carlson, who I thought over the last three games has been one of their best players. He's been skating. He's moving the puck, seeing the ice well. Bernsey's been great. I think he had it. You know, they talk about that goal. I thought he played a couple really, really good defensive plays, which you know, in the past, people have gotten on him about, but I love his aggressiveness. I think the young guys are stepping up. So I think there's a chance. Now it's early, but I think, you know, going forward, if they can play the way they've played in the last three games consistently, and we're not going to expect perfection, every team's going to have their ups and downs. But if they consistently play that way, they will be in the playoffs at the end of the year. Well, let's hope so. Now, it's it's been years, but I, I really, it's something that kind of I keep questioning redeveloping the divisions like when I was growing up the bees were in the Adams division right you had the Patrick the Adams the Smythe just what what do you think about having West well now it's corporate sponsorship so I don't even know what the the divisions it's it's like you know Bank West West or uh or or it's the SAP North division whatever it's called <laughs> right but what do you think of, of just getting it to North South East West divisions I think you've got some. I mean, I, again, I'm all for trying to create a situation where there's more excitement. Um, you know, for a while there, they had the East-West. They tried to save on travel, and I think it got stale um, where you don't ever get to play teams outside of your division, right? We, you know, we didn't get to see – because everybody wants to see the McDavid's. Um, you know, I've thought about ways, you know, just me personally, you know, it's not like I'm talking to Gary Bettman, but um, where you play every – road game. So if I had to play New York, you'd play that, you'd go to New York every other year. So again, it, it works in these weekend sets. So if you had two games against New York, New York comes to you for two games. I think a lot of the solving of this competitiveness would be having these sets of games. I think the fans would have something to buy into, you know, and the argument against that is always, you might play some weak teams, you know, for a while there, Arizona wasn't much of a draw, but no matter what, you're playing those games anyways, right? So you can't avoid them. But if you get them out of the way, and I think it can create something for a fan, you know, I would love to see the games get knocked off by about 10 and then have like, you know, 72, maybe somewhere in that 60-ish. And then you play weekend sets against teams. If you don't play a team every year, I'd, I'm not against that. If it saves the guys travel and you get better hockey out of the situation, I think it's a benefit. Nice, nice. That would be nice. Now, when it comes to the Sharks, there's rivalry. You know, a lot of my buds just can't stand the Kings. They hate the Kings. But you've brought up Vegas a few times now. Is, is that kind of rivalry starting to shift? Are we just going head-to-head -head with Vegas instead of the Kings now? What do you think? You know what? I think there's all, it's always ever-shifting. I mean, you can't take away the fact that the 
you know, Vegas Golden Knights come in here the first year and, they, and they're tops in the division. So whenever there's a team tops in the division and somebody wants to take them down, it's a rivalry. Some huge playoff series against them. We've had some big games. Obviously, Pete DeBauer going there. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's so many ways that this works out. Some heartache for the for the Sharks when they when they've lost to the Knights, and then when the Knights lost in that game seven, when you know we scored, was it four goals? I mean, I'm not even four goals in the last five minutes to take the game, right? So like, there's just when you get those type of games, and we've had that in the past with LA. The reason why we had the big rivalry was the two playoff series that LA took from us right and that's where really rivalries come from is in the playoffs so when you have that type of situation where you know you play a team in a in consistent years in the playoffs and they're hard fought series that creates that rivalry and that's why we have that with with uh, Las Vegas right now and it's why we had it with uh you know LA for so long as well two top teams in the division that meant so much and had some big playoff series what about within your career? Was there a team and more specifically, was there a player on a specific team that you felt like you had a rivalry with, like you really just needed to smoke that guy every single time? You know what? Colorado early when it was 99 um, when I entered the league and that was the team we, we needed to get over the hump with, you know, so that was some hard fought series. And I was, you know, there was that, memorable series that you know we had as a team and also where we beat them in 04 and that put us into the western conference final and i was matched up against peter forsberg a lot and i was able to you know i i had my call it the team had his way with the with their team that uh series we beat them for the first time and you know i did a, a good job and there was a lot of airplay around me and forsberg i respect him i got to play with them later in colorado but i think that was a big rivalry for us um Obviously, I was a part of the LA series a lot, you know, where we, and I thought that one just was heartache for us. We, we, I think that was one of the better teams I played on with the Sharks in the year. In the second round, they beat us in seven games. You know, Vlasic got hurt. Um, Jonathan Quick stood on his head. And I really think if we got past them there, and I can say that over the course of my career, because the playoffs are so hard to win and the Stanley Cup's so, you got to get a little lucky. You got to get a little bit of everything. And I feel like, we had a few instances in the Sharks series over since I joined in 99 that could have put us over the hump. And, you know, those are the ones that sit with you the hardest, the ones you lose, not, not so much the, the big wins, those ones, you kind of forget how they went, but man, I can remember every single play on those losses. So uh, now the NHL, it would appear is trying to kind of quell down uh, one element of physicality in NHL, right? There, you're you're even seeing it within the words of the commentators in some some NFL NHL games, uh, where they're they're trying to take the bad boys out of the sport and really not uh, encouraging fighting. Is that would would that be a fairly accurate statement? Yes, to some degree. I think as far as the guys that are only in the game to fight, the enforcer. That has been taken out of the game. And I think it was a natural progression from teams realizing that that was inevitable once the rules changed in 04. I'm in some ways looking back, I'm surprised it took so long. When they changed the rules in 04, there were some teams that went into the situation quick where they realized, well, man, if I have four lines with all the hooking and holding, if I can get on the power play and create skill quicker, I'm gonna win more games. And that's when sort of 
call it the analytics got into it. Some people fully bought into analytics. Some people didn't. Some people were 50 in, 50 off. And I, I still to this day think it's it's a great tool to use. It's, it's a good, uh, you know, it, it, it helps with the eye test. You know, it's whatever backs up the eye test. You hear coaches say, well, I got to run back and see the tape. And that's often a mind is where sometimes you look at a game and you're like, were we as bad as I think we were? Or were we as good as I think we were? And oftentimes analytics will back up your, your eye test. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you, you look at a five-minute clip of the game and you're like, we had three bad shifts. And it made the, you know, it turned really bad. So if we go back to like the fighting, I think it was inevitable. I don't think a guy that can skate around and play three minutes a game and fight, and he's obviously a lot slower than some of these guys that are really quick. Now, are there disadvantages of not having it? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I think once they catch up on rules, I still think they don't do enough to protect guys in the headshots. I don't think that you can make an argument that a guy doesn't know. I mean, geez, I, I don't like the fact that a player, if he needed to score a goal, he can stop on a dime. But if that guy turns his back at the last second, there's no adjustment. They say, well, the guy's committed to the hit. I don't agree with that. We're the best players in the world. And you're telling me I can't stop on a dime or at least change my momentum a little bit to help protect that guy. Until they go the route of football where the onus comes on the defensive player to make the hit, I think the onus needs to squarely be on his shoulder. If I make contact with the head, it's my fault. It might take hitting out of the game. And there's a lot of old school people that are going to say, well, that's bad for the game. But if I look at some of the stuff that's happening right now, these guys making behind the, you know, behind the back passes, puck between the legs, going roof, picking up the puck with their stick. I mean, that's pretty fun hockey to watch. And I don't think a big hit where you take somebody out and he has long-term effects from a concussion is any better than seeing a guy have skill. So, Yeah, I think a lot of it's coming from the the fans themselves, not to suppress fighting, but to keep it in. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. It was just a couple of years back where the the fans were voting for all-stars. And the number one player receiving the votes was the big slow enforcer. And and uh, uh, his name's escaping me right now. John Scott. John Scott. Thank you. John Scott. That's right. And, and people were thinking, oh, that's just a joke. But no, it was kind of sending a statement going, no, we need the, the at least some element of enforcing in hockey. It doesn't mean that that defines hockey, but it's – I don't know. Maybe it's an old-fashioned way of thinking, but it's kind of what we were raised with. You know, in, in some ways, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think the sentiment was different. I can have a ton of respect for a fighter. I can have a ton of respect for what they did. The job they did was immensely hard. I was best friends with a lot of those guys. Um, I'm a defensive defenseman. My game got weeded out of the game, too. Do I think it's bad or do I think it's good? It doesn't matter. I like watching a game that has a ton of skill. And ultimately, if I look back on my career and I'm only happy with what happened in that 20 years in the NHL, I don't think I've fulfilled a very good life. You know, where, but if I'm at 50 and I've got a head injury that causes a situation where, you know, you look at some of these guys, the depression that sets in, is, is that worth it? Is that something that needs to be in the game? And I'm, I'm a, vote of no on that you know if that took me out of the game or whatever but and that's what i think it's respect between the players where 
we want to showcase our talents. We want to showcase the best that we have out there on the hockey. But, you know, I want to see McDavid be the best McDavid he can be. And I don't want to see him end his career at 30 because some guy took a cheap shot that, you know, we should have had a fighter out there beating the piss out of the other fighter on the other team and giving him a concussion. I don't think that that's positive influence on our young kids playing the sport. I wouldn't want my son in, in a situation like that. Not because I don't think he's tough, not because I don't think he's, you know, aggressive. It's that I don't want him sitting there at 50 regretting life. Yeah. Yeah. That that's happening a lot. What's, what's the NHL doing? Obviously aside from what we just mentioned in, and trying to take a big part of that component out of the game, but you're part of the, the players union. You do stuff with the alumni in San Jose. What's, what's going on to help the, the aging former NHL players. I mean, just like the NFL, you're going to have guys. I mean, I, I think if you look at it, I think there's more that can be done. Um, um, you look, there's always guys that fall through the cracks. I look at guys like Joe Murphy. There was a big one there. Uh, Matt Johnson was a fighter with LA for a number of years. Um, you know, there's just counts of situations where you don't know. Mental health is a big issue in the world right now. Um, I know that the evidence... There's arguments to be made if the evidence is clear, which it's not, that concussions caused this, or was it the cart before the horse, or what was it, right? Um, but I, I don't think that that's a, it's a situation where you can't still take care of them. The, the teams make enough money. The league makes enough money. And I think you, it's, it's on us as, a, as the NHLPA. It's on us as the, as the NHL to take care of those guys, to find solutions that fit the problem, not try and throw them under the rug and, and blame it on something that's not, I think that that's, it's not helpful. It's, you know, it, it's an argument that doesn't need to be made. I think there's a lot of help. I think the NFL can do more for its ex players. Um, you know, the, again, they have the money that is, is out there. And I think it's, it's to the benefit of everybody that we, we help those people and find solutions that solve problems. Well, I hope so. I'm looking forward to a really good season this year at the Sharks. And uh, so m moving on into the future with you, yeah. You know, Obviously, you're really enjoying uh, family life and uh, and being a part of your kids growing up and and coaching their games and uh, but you're you're also commentating. What what else is down the road for you? Are you, you see the, are you going to get pulled in? Are they they they're just going to draw you in for more creating content? You're, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I could see it going somewhere. Like I said, I'm I'm enjoying myself right now with what I've got. I'm not sure. They could get me to go on the road if that's the, the situation we end up going. You know, 41 games on the road doesn't really appeal to me. Um, but, I mean, the home games and that type of stuff, I, I like what I'm doing now. So we'll see where that goes. You know, my, my kids want me around right now, Rock. You know that. Like, you know, at some point they probably don't want to hang out with Dad so much and there might be more time on my hands. So never know what the future holds. If I thought back 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have thought I'd be broadcasting games for the Sharks. So it's funny where the world takes you, and I don't know what's on the horizon. All right, I got an idea. We just do Shark Surf of the Week. And you take one of the players off the roster, bring them over to Santa Cruz, we'll get a board, and we just do a little Instagram post of them surfing or a little video. And play it during the game or something. Rock, I actually got a good story for you because we, we started to sort of do that. And then we took one, of, there was like, it was me and Mark Smith. It was years back. And Doug Wilson was like, yeah, take the guys out. It was the summer. We're like, okay, we grab a couple foam tops and we take these guys out. You know, try and set all the rules and everything in place. And uh, there was a young kid from Russia who comes out. 
and he can't speak a lick of English and he's talking and he comes coming out of the water with his leash on and his foam board behind him. And we're like, hey, go get your board, look behind you. And the board kind of took off in a wave, kicked him in the back of the knee and he hurt his knee. So Doug Wilson didn't let us take any more players out <laughs> surfing anymore. So there's a fun story. It was like, I was like, oh man, like you're trying to keep track of everybody. And then the board kicked him in the back and he didn't understand English. So you're trying to explain to him like, okay, hold on to your board. You're trying to get him to do all this. And he was having a blast, you know, luckily his wetsuit was on the right way. So at least he had that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's been fun. This, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Can't wait to listen to you on the, the Sharks Network. So if, if people want to grab the San Jose Sharks app, obviously it's in all the app galleries, but what's the name of it? Is it just San Jose Sharks? Yeah, San Jose Sharks um, and NBC Authentic. There's a couple of them. You just hit on the San Jose Sharks app right there on Listen. It's the audio network. It's, uh, yeah, right there. Can't miss all it. Right. Well, yeah, good luck with the season, and uh, I'm not going to promise you any kind of birthday set waves. That's already come and gone, so yeah, I'll just stuff you the next time I see you, I guess. That's awesome. I can't wait. I can't just wait to see you out there, bud. Well, that's it for another exciting episode of the Zealous Podcast. Thank you, Scott, for coming on and hanging out with me for a little while. And remember, grab that San Jose Sharks app and listen along as he commentates the games. Good luck, Sharks, this season, and I hope you make it to the cup.